Wouldn't you like me? Just me the way I am? When we first started out, it was so good. We, we had fun. And, and then you started in on the clothes. Well, I'll wear the darn clothes if you want me to. If, if you'll just, just like me. It can't matter to you. If, if I let you change me, will I do it? I do what you tell me. Will you love me? Yes. Yes. Fine. Then I'll do it. They don't care anymore about me. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. No. Be afraid. Be very afraid. There's nothing to fear except God. Whatever that means to you. Listening to The Fear of God, a podcast exploring the intersection between Christianity and the horror genre. Hello, and welcome to another fantastic episode of The Fear of God. This is Nathan Rouse, one of your co-hosts. You know, I, I like to think this is my favorite podcast. I do tend to listen to it probably more than you do. I'd like to think perhaps it's one of your favorite podcasts. Um, typically with me is fellow podcast host, podcast host, say that three times fast. Um, and, and at this point, we can just chalk it up to lifelong chum, Reed Lackey. Um, but he was, he was, he was with me just a second ago and he was talking and he was, he was, he was here and present. And then he just kind of phased out a little bit. He said something about needing to go stare at a picture of Carlotta Valdez. And I don't know, man. I don't know. I really don't know y'all. So, I mean, Reed does live in Southern California. Maybe there's something out there that I'm just, you know, some kind of museum exhibit or something that I just don't know about. I don't know. Like, who is that? Why is Reed wanting to stare at a picture of her? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe we'll get some insight into that, uh, hopefully in the not too distant future. Cause I mean, I'm happy to do the show alone, but you know, and maybe, maybe I'll just lean into that. You know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, meanwhile, while we are anticipating the hopeful return of, uh, Reed or some person that resembles him that may be named otherwise, um, I do want to encourage our listeners. Um, if you've been with the show for a while and haven't, or if you're new to the show and have not, uh, please go to iTunes, uh, write us a review, leave us a rating, subscribe, tell your friends, check us out. We're on all the socials that matter. If, if in fact, socials matter, but it's arguable that if they do, but 
for this moment, we'll pretend they do. So Facebook group, Facebook page, Instagram account, Twitter account. We're everywhere. Everywhere you might be, there is the fear of God. <laughs> we are there waiting for you to come check it out. We've got fun stuff going on all the time. Uh, people are joining the Facebook group left and right. Great conversations are happening about great and sometimes not so great movies. Uh, Reed! Hi. Reed, you're back. <laughs> there you are. I was just kind of going. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I could tell. I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know. Like you mentioned going to needing to stare at this portrait of Carlotta Valdez. Portrait. Uh, yeah, the portrait. I have multiple um, portraits. I try not to well, highlight them, but. You know, I, I know nobody knows what we're talking about today, but I don't know if you catch that <laughs> in the movie we might or might not be talking about. Sure. Um, or sure. The, first, the, first, the first half of the movie, they refer to it as a portrait. And then portrait. the latter half of the movie, it becomes just a portrait. No, I'm serious. I, I know. No, I know. Yeah. Noticeably. Yeah, okay. A okay. I thought, I thought you were like. Yeah, I was like, what is that? I don't know. Um, uh, it's a quality like, we're not fond of. Not a really good... There you go! Oh, I love Reed Lackey. <laughs> that's exactly what I was trying to go for, and you beat me to it. Yes, yes, oh, that's yes. Awesome. That's That's wonderful. <laughs> We've been friends like, for a long time. That moment is a signifier. That's a great, that's a great moment. Um, a portrait, yeah. So, Reed, we are on episode 92, and... Indeed, indeed. For you, Reed, you, you're, you were a little dazed there for a minute, so I want to catch you up. We are jumping back uh, onto the um, hashtag Hitchcock block of episodes, um, <laughs> or the hashtag Alfred letters, whichever true, your preference true. may be, you know? I mean, um, we dealt with... Alfred earlier this year with Rear Window. What was the name of the... And then Shadow the of a Doubt. The Shadow of a Doubt. Yep. Yeah. I was trying to remember the name of that the other day. So we dealt with those. We are jumping back into that stream with this week's episode and maybe with next week's episode. Maybe. Um, at least I hope we are because that's what I prepared for. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so today we are jumping back into that stream. But before we do that, you, I think you might have a little bit of catching up for us to do on the monster mash i right? do oh man ladies this is and getting gentlemen. exciting i mean you, it is oh. it is truck trucking along that's true okay so uh ladies and gentlemen it is time once again for the fear of god monster mash cue the music <laughs> So, okay, here's how, here's how this is going to work this week. So you obviously, we had our initial nomination brackets. You guys voted those in. And then you pit the, the monsters up once against each other. And then uh, what we're going to do this week is we are going to reveal right here on the air, right now for you, we are going to reveal the winners in the monsters and the humans brackets. And those Good winners man. will go on to face each other. Um, I'm going to rattle through these relatively quickly, only for time's sake, because we want to reveal them all. But, um, but yeah, so these are your winners, your voted-on winners for the Monsters, and uh, then we will do the Humans. I will say that the Monsters bracket, 
some of these were were kind of close calls, but most of the monsters were um, were pretty landslide winners. They were pretty pretty fan favorites. Uh, a lot of them won by wide margins. Uh, the humans, which we'll get to in a moment, were very very close calls, very slim margins. Most of the humans won by like fifty one or fifty two percent of the votes. But that's not what we're talking about right now. We are talking about the monsters. Are you ready, Nathan Rouse? I'm ready. All right. Woo! All right. Little. I'm trying to get in my like my like ringside. Sure. You know, sure. Yeah. You've got like, your. Like uh, um, what was the uh, you know mouth of the south, Jimmy Hart, you know, or like uh, <laughs> I don't know, who are some who are mean, mean Gene Oakland. Mean you know, Gene I'm Oakland. To get, yes, that's right. I'm trying to get in this capacity in crowd. We've got. Oh, that. it's a slobber knocker. <laughs> that's old Jim Ross right there. And then yeah, we got uh, Bobby the Brain Heenan. Oh my gosh, now you're gonna send me down a. A rabbit hole. We don't want to do that. Um, okay, so first up in this mashup, we had the Xenomorph from Alien versus the Pale Man from Pan's Labyrinth. Um, Who's it going to be, Lackey? And no surprise to anyone, the Xenomorph utterly trounced the Pale Man in the votes. I think only uh, like 20% of our listeners voted for the Pale Man. Most of the rest voted for the Xenomorph. So the Xenomorph advances. And uh, in the Titanic battle between Dracula and Frankenstein's monster, it was a bit closer of a race, but still by a very substantial margin. Dracula overpowered Frankenstein's monster. So, in next week's bracket, Dracula will be going up against I don't. I don't think Dracula overpowered Frankenstein's monster. I mean, I think maybe, you know, Frankenstein's monster was swiping at him in the air as he flew around like a bat and just got tired and then... At a certain point, Dracula came in for the kill, you know, by biting his or something. Happened. Like, I just, yeah, I don't see an overpowering scenario playing out between us. <laughs> well, sure, sure. Uh, 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 listeners, imagine that matchup being whatever you want. <laughs> it to be. Um, so next week, Dracula will face off against the Xenomorph. I'm excited to see what happens Ooh, there. Um, okay, so the Tyrannosaurus Rex faced off against Godzilla um, and that was not quite a close call. Um, it was a little better than poor Pale Man against Xenomorph, but uh, Godzilla definitely got the better of old Tyrannosaurus Rex. So Godzilla advances. I'm actually I'm, I'm actually not happy with that. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Alright. I, I don't know. I've got, I guess, my soft spot for Jurassic Park. Sure, and my sure. Ambival- my ambivalence towards Godzilla. I understand. I understand. Um, in the Battle of the Thing, from the thing and the deadites of evil dead um again the thing uh the deadites were just not a match for john carpenter's the thing it assimilated them at every turn and uh just uh, got the better of them so next week in a battle that i don't even know how to imagine and quantify godzilla is taking on the thing so i, I have no idea who's going to come on top there in probably the widest possible margin, I think uh, the, this, this matchup, the loser only got like a hand, small handful of votes. Um, but in Predator versus the Zombies, boy, the Predator just mowed them down. I mean, the Predator just, they were no match for him whatsoever. So Predator just completely annihilated them. Um, but in our closest race in the Monsters category, the tightest race... The winner, by only a mere 51% of the vote, between Jaws and King Kong, the winner by only 51% of the vote is Jaws. So Jaws... That's that's pretty awesome. I know, man. That's a battle I want to see. And Jaws literally like edged out by just a few votes, 51%. Um, So... 
Jaws will now face off against Predator, which, oh my gosh, that's a... That's, that's a killer movie. Wild. Right <laughs> I, actually, I actually more have this image of the two of them having their brief skirmish, and then this pic, I have this image of the Predator riding Jaws as they both, <laughs> as they together, you know, just, vanquish all good in the world. They're just like, wait, we should you team know, up. This is it. This just is slaughtering fun. everything in sight. <laughs> so true. Um, okay, so Pennywise faced up against the Terminator. Um, and... In a, w- a victory that I must admit surprised me. It doesn't disappoint me, but it surprised me. Um, it was a relatively close race, but still, the Terminator is the definitive winner of Pennywise versus the Terminator. He he won by like seventy percent. Yeah, come on, y'all. What do you think? I'm, I'm just like, no wow, sense. man. Terminator. Got this is this isn't a sci-fi podcast. <laughs> this is a horror podcast, y'all. You you voted wrong. <laughs> um, now uh, the matchup of Krampus versus the Wolfman versus the Mummy. Um, this one went back and forth a little bit as votes poured in, but eventually, by a relatively wide margin, uh, boy, I have to admit, poor Mummy was just overpowered from the beginning. Poor Mummy got barely any votes. Um, but Krampus did ultimately overtake the Wolfman and the Mummy. So Krampus advances to face off against the Terminator. And that are those. Uh, that survey is available in all of our social media places right now for you to vote on those advancement brackets. Um, so go and pick your winners of those new Titanic mashups. And uh, and Nathan, we, we have another bracket. Reed, why don't why don't you? We got another bracket. Why don't you reveal Reed, to us? I gotta know. Are you ready to rumble? Let's do it. Are you ready? Are you ready, Riri? Let's do it. So, y'all, straight up, this is the humans category. I'm going least cool to coolest. Uh, the first matchup between Henry V versus Jack the Ripper. I'm just kidding. It's not Henry V. I don't know who it is. But the winner <laughs> of that match is Jack the Ripper. Jack oh. the Ripper. He's going to rip you off. That's what he does, right? <laughs> that, that's all he like, does, yes. Hold you up in an alley. I'm ripping you off. <laughs> I'm going to steal your money. Uh, and then, and then uh, next least cool is the Strangers versus the Freaks. I don't know anything about these characters, but the winner is the Strangers. Oh. <laughs> so you just, you really got to get into it, especially when you don't know who they are. I hear you. Um, the next one, I know who these people are, the Zodiac Killer. Who knows who he is? Nobody knows who he is. He wears a mask every time he fights, but he's the Zodiac Killer versus the entire Armitage family. They voted for Obama for a third term, but it was no good. They still got killed. That makes perfect sense right now. Um, next is Damien. You know, my favorite reference of Damien is just from the movie Wayne's World. If you haven't seen the first one, go check that out. That's really, I have not seen the Omen uh-huh. in any of its forms. Uh, but Damien versus the reanimator. And not just the reanimator, but the reanimated kitty cat from the reanimator. That's who he's actually fighting. And in this case, it is the son of Satan, Damien, who emerges victorious. Da, da, da. Next up, we've got Carrie Dirty Pillows White versus... The man, the the fly who dreamed he was a man, the Brundle fly, who's gonna win, Riri? It is Dirty Pillows. <laughs> I cannot. This wow. This is such a despair. I'm not letting you do Carrie, this next time. Carrie wins. <laughs> Carrie, this is you got to get into, into it. it. It's the fight. It's the fight of the centuries <laughs> of of the horror. 
horror people of all space and time. Um, next we got, who have I not done yet? Next we got that cockadoody Annie Wilkes versus love him or hate him Harry Powell. Uh-oh, cockadoody wins. Cockadoody wins. Wow, Nathan Rouse. <laughs> Annie Wilkes, was there ever any doubt? She just hobbled old Harry Powell. Oh, my gosh. Uh, n- next, we got Popsicle Jack Torrance facing... Touches other people inappropriately, John Doe. Oh, That's a Kevin Spacey gosh. reference. Jack Torrance wins! <laughs> this is... Wow. Last but not least in our murderer's row of fights, it is Dresses Like His Mama Norman Bates versus Hannibal the Cannibal Lecter. Oh, Hannibal ate Norman Bates <laughs> for dinner! That's terrible. <laughs> Hannibal ate Norman Bates for dinner. <laughs> Oh my gosh! So you should have had me doing these the whole time. If you time. can picture, if you can picture the audience that is listening to you do this, all of their jaws so are on the fun. floor, their mouths are agape. That was they so are, much fun. Oh my gosh! So I do. Okay, oh. so I don't mind that you that you jumbled up the order. Uh, I don't mind that at all. But I do want to say the surveys are on the. Oh no! Are you really about to critique? No, no. But wh- oh, no. But okay, what, you, okay, okay. what you didn't do is say what the next matchups are because you went all over the place. Oh, so yeah. Uh, I don't so know. the next matchups are going to be Hannibal Lecter versus Jack. What Carl. are they? Re- Get into it, Riri. What? Get into oh it. Oh my gosh. Okay. All right. So Jack Torrance is coming down and saying, I, you know, I'm not going to, you're not going to have me for dinner, Hannibal Lecter. I'm going to bash your brains in. I'm going to bash them right yeah! in. All work and no dinner makes Jack a dull boy. <laughs> oh my gosh. So then Annie Wilkes, Annie Wilkes, after having pummeled Harry Powell, <laughs> how, after having pummeled Harry Powell, <laughs> then she is going to face up against the Zodiac Killer. No. Oh Who gosh. is it? Nobody knows. And now, the strangers, having vanquished the freaks, are suddenly at the door of one Miss Carrie White, but they have no idea what they're in for. Dirty pillows! <laughs> and then, Damien the Omen is knocking on the door of old Jack the Ripper. Oh, no! What are we going to do? It's going to be a... Not going to rip me off. It's going to be an elbow off the top rope for somebody! Ding, 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 ding! I'm hoarse. Can we, can we, can we take a break? That was awesome. <laughs> It is like a thousand degrees in North Carolina right now. Oh my gosh. And I'm in my garage. It's a thousand decibels not, too. What? That's not heating and cooled. It's not it doesn't have central air or anything. I've just got a window cracked. It is so hot. Wow. But that's how I like it, Riri. <laughs> Especially when we're talking about <laughs> when we're talking about slobber knockers. Oh my gosh. Just like this one. Oh my gosh. All right. So, Reed, that was exciting. All right, so, was, so there was... you go, ladies and gentlemen. Those are your mashups. So go to the Facebook pages, go to the Facebook groups, uh, go to the Twitter, go to the Instagram, vote uh, to advance. Mm. If your favorite did not advance, then you got to encourage, so sorry. You gotta encourage people to vote. You got to encourage them to vote. So, um, <laughs> all right. I should have been a, I should have been a ringside commentator. That's yes, what I should have done. Yes. Old, old Nathan Rouse. You're going to be, you got to do your hair up like Don King, spike it up everywhere. Yeah, then, I'll yeah. do it. I'll do it. It's kind of long right now. <laughs> um, so re- that's, that was the monster mash for this, this the week. Monster mash. We, it was a grand old smash, you know, <laughs> um, <clears throat> while, while we're, while we're just kind of foregoing talking about our real content today, Reed, I just got to know what you're watching. What you reading? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What are you listening to? 
Yay! The pop uh, is back. Hooray! Yep. Um, so, Reed. So, Nathan. There's a movie we both watched that we'll get to in a second, but I did want to... I've got two other little things that I want to talk about real quick. Uh, um, uh-huh. <clears throat> I know that you've seen this because I know you and I know your taste and interests. I just got to say, Riri, the Creed 2 trailer dropped today and oh my gosh! Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Yes, I'm so, so extremely good. excited for that. I cannot wait. Cannot that wait. First one was so doggone good. I don't and I, and hear me. I am a Rocky appreciator, but I really don't have like this deep, you know, kind of sentimental affection for it that a lot of people oh do. My like gosh. that I think I, I even think you do. But I love I do. Yeah. Creed. Um I'm very excited about Creed too. That trailer was epic and so great. Great so in great. all the ways that got me excited for fall or whenever that was that it's coming out. Oh my gosh. I, yeah, I cannot wait for that movie. That movie could come like, please tomorrow. Thank you. Bye. Like that. <laughs> I, I want that movie now. Uh, well read, you know, as they say in Creed, just one day, one week, one month at a time. We'll get there, buddy. Um, <laughs> my other kind of hit and run. Um, I don't know if you know this. <laughs> Audience members won't know this, but, for I don't know a decade now, one of mine and Reed's utterly non sequitur segue phrases is speaking of Batman. I don't know how it originated. <laughs> I don't know. I can't recall exactly how it originated. But if we're in the middle of a deep conversation or not, and want to change the subject, you just say speaking of Batman. You know, it just it really doesn't yeah. matter that you're whether you're talking about Batman at all. However, speaking of Batman, I'm going to speak of Batman. So, oh. Batman the animated series is on. Amazon Prime. Did you know yes, this? It is. Yes, it is. I did know that. Yes. Uh, and I've just gotten my kids starting watching Batman the Animated Series. So good. Oh, it is so a lot good. of fun. We're about half a dozen into season or the, you know, I don't know if they counted them as seasons back then or whatever. I know right. the, way they, the way they delivered them for home is more in like volumes. But, um, right, right. you know, that's that is such a fun throwback series. Um, oh, it's you know, so it, good. It is, it is kind of weird. I, I can't recall having really intentionally watched it since its initial run. So it is fun, you know, kind of looking at the artifacts through my kids' eyes and being like, wow, this is... I mean, the the style is so great, that Paul Dini uh, kind of art style um, that, you know, went on to... I mean, he more or less has the Dini-verse in terms of the DC animated stuff. Did sure. You, I can't remember. Did you ever watch Justice League Unlimited? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That is great. That's a wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, it's funny because I've said before that, you know, and you and I, even on this show, especially on the show, give a lot of criticisms to, like, the the DC uh, live action universe, as it were, the DCEU, but DC Animated is stellar. It is stellar. And, and speaking, yeah, of, and I didn't fantastic. mean to bring this up. Speaking of DC animated, I actually think Teen Titans Go to the Movies looks really fun. It does look fun. I'll probably my son's a big fan of uh, Teen Titans, so we'll. we'll I don't know that Teen I've Titans actually Go. seen any of the. I don't. I don't think I've seen any of the show, but that trailer looks fun. The show is ultra comedic. Like it's it's just pure sure. oh, well, silly yeah. I mean, comedic. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, it does. It lo- it looks fun. It looks silly fun. So that's my, um, those are my two drive-bys. Do you want me to, do you have any drive-bys before the address, the other main thing? Uh, uh, no, I'll save it for another time. Let's get into the main thing. Okay. Um, we both recently watched Hereditary. Um, yes, we did. Um, we did, not together. Um, Unfortunately, because I needed somebody to hold me. I watched that movie along. My goodness. 
and that was scary. Just as long as on your way home, you don't kind of roll the window down for to take some air or anything like that. Don't do that. Don't ever do that. You know, again. it's funny because prior to this, I was prone to actually driving with my head fully extended out of the window. Yeah, I know you have that weird some, kind of habit. Yeah, um, um, it's my. It, it's time to wash the windshield, Reed. It's time no, to wash the windshield. no, no, no. I, I will not be doing that uh, anymore because that was yeah, awful. that was terrible. Just, just right oh, off. Wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. Um, we will eventually, I'm sure, get to this movie, although I'm reticent to reindulge the watching of it. Mm. Uh, my sort of <laughs> drive by. Um, that's terrible. <laughs> wow. That's uh, awful for this is, movie. Is one, I do think it got a little overhyped for me. I did. Hmm. It was the tone was fantastic. Um, had this incredibly dark kind of gothic tone to it. Tony Collette, I love and I loved. She was fantastic. She's wonderful in this movie. I think a criticism I would have of the movie that might actually iron a bit out on a repeat viewing. I can, I can own that is I was so impressed, although it was incredibly hard to watch. I was so impressed with what felt like a family trauma horror movie of the first right, half right, right. that I, that I don't, I didn't care enough about the hard turn into the possession story for it really to like have a lasting effect on me, you know, as, as a fan of the movie. I think sure. Sure. No, I understand. I feel like your overall assessment of the film may ultimately depend on how you feel about those last 30 minutes. Um, yeah. You know, to, which are, which are scary as hell. I mean, some oh, of the stuff in there is yes. Yes. Insanely frightening. Yeah, they're, they're um, but you you really ha- it really requires you buying in to the the narrative turn. Yeah, um, absolutely, absolutely. Anyway, what what were your what were your general feelings? No, I mean, I definitely again, I appreciated the tone. The performances were really strong in general. I appreciated the the general patience it had. It took a lot of time to get to where it was yes. going, and yes. I actually liked that. I enjoyed that they didn't feel like they had to just clip it right along. Um, so yeah, I, I really enjoyed how absorbing it was. Um, obviously, there there are some sequences in that film that are just absolutely nerve wracking, utterly nerve wracking. But what what would top my scares list would be when she runs out of the corner at him towards the end of the oh, movie. Oh yes. my gosh! Oh yes. I mean, I leapt out of my seat. But even like, the other really, the other really scary part was. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That cluck, <laughs> that clucking sound. Oh my gosh. Um, Go ahead. I've cut you off twice. No, no, no. It's okay. So the, uh, but I think that, yeah, I'm still kind of processing how I feel about the ending and that's probably better served for another episode, but um, I'm still, I'm still processing exactly how I feel about, you know, that, that conclusion and where everything's going. And the reason is this, I will just say this without spoilers for people who might still be interested in seeing it. I will simply say that it builds up for about an hour and 45 minutes on one theme, on one track. And then the last, you know, 20 to 30 minutes, it's still the same story. Um, And I think upon repeat viewings, we'll find that those elements for the last half hour were in the film all along, were flavored throughout the film all along. But thematically it becomes a very different movie and about a very different thing. Um, and that was, that was jarring for me. I, I didn't automatically dislike it 
but because it was so jarring, I didn't automatically love it either, which makes it and it makes it a little bit difficult for me to recommend, honestly. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. So. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm still kind of processing how I felt about it as a whole. But uh, but I definitely think it's, you know, it's got some exceptional moments. I think we've got um, a really savvy filmmaker on our hands who I'd be very interested to see what he does next. And yeah, all of all of that. I guess for for lack of a better uh, transition point, I guess that brings us to what you watching, what you reading, what you listening to. Ew! <laughs> Ew! <Ooh. clears throat> oh man! All so right. um, all right. So um, Nathan. We've tagged back in on the Alfred letters, the uh, the Hitchcock block of episodes. And so so this one is well, uh, I I don't even know how to transition us into this. This one is considered by some to be Hitchcock's ultimate greatest film that he ever made. Many consider it one of the greatest American films ever made by anybody. It is profoundly layered in its in its narrative, in its themes. It is a very complex film. And what I had uh, what I had said to most people who I introduced this film to is is I think the common reaction, and I said this to you off pod. Um, I think the common reaction is from most people when they finish watching it is, "Wow, that was not at all." What I was expecting. Um, haven't even named the movie yet. We are talking this week about the film Vertigo, starring Jimmy Stewart and Kim Novak. And uh, yeah, so I I want to before we dive into like you know trivial bits and all this other sort of stuff. I just I just kind of want to get your general uh, take on your experience of going through the narrative. Uh, let me ask you a leading question. Let me ask you this that, leading question. Lead me where you lead me. I will follow. Okay, Riri. so I'll go with you. With you. All the way. Okay. Lord. Um, okay, so <laughs> so um did you at all anticipate where the film was going from sort of the setup, the first like 30, 40 minutes? Did you did you have any suspicions about some of the cause there's kind of two major narrative turns, one of which is not quite unexpected, but one I feel like is, especially for first-time viewers, is terribly unexpected. Well, before answering that, uh, to briefly summarize the movie so that you know your, your heavy allusion to turns makes some sense, Jimmy Stewart is a cop. He has a traumatic experience on the beat, or a detective. I don't exactly remember how they categorize him, but He's a um, yeah, that, that induces... A more or less permanent state of vertigo for him, you know, sort of motion sickness at certain heights and things like that. Um, A fear of heights, specifically acrophobia. Sure. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you. Um, And he is called post-retirement. So he retires because of his acrophobia. Post-retirement, he's called by an old college chum (laughs) um, (laughs) who suspects weird things happen or knows weird things. Hmm puts off that weird things are happening with his wife, the college chum's wife. So he says, Jimmy Stewart, my wife's being weird. I want you to look into it. You're a detective. That begins this relationship Stewart has pursuing and following the wife who he thinks is the wife. 
She is my call out at the top of the episode of Carlotta Valdez. She there's this kind of weird sort of thing that happens where it seems like they're going this mystical supernatural route. If you don't know the movie where maybe is she channeling this old Spanish person kind of thing? It's a little uh, a little, you know, hard to kind of pin down exactly what you're feeling. But he starts to develop because they connect a kinship with this person. Uh, her, her name is Madeline. And at the pretty much at the midpoint of the movie, her pursuing the sort of things that are happening to her, um, they go to this bell tower uh, in Southern California. They ascend the tower. He is having a hard time following her because of his vertigo. And then she commits suicide ostensibly um <laughs> he is he is plunged into depression and and actually far more than that very deep malaise and not speaking um he kind of starts to recover and starts seeing images of her out and about and then ultimately one woman where you know you as the viewer think is this just him another version of him seeing things right encounter encounters a woman who as from a technical standpoint it is kim novak the same actor you as the viewer, if it's your first time seeing it, you're a little thrown like, okay, are they introducing sort of the twin narrative here? Come to find out the ultimate reveal is the college chum had his wife killed, hired Kim Novak to pretend to be his wife, knowing that he would be able to stage it well because of Jimmy Stewart's vertigo. So it's a pretty complex narrative. There are a few elements Very I skipped so. over. Yeah. Uh, there are, I know there's a few elements I skipped over, but I think the turns you are referring to read are at the least the purported suicide and then perhaps the reveal that she was playing this game all along. Well, yeah, let me, let me sort of uh, dive in a little bit. I'm going to, I'm going to expand a bit on, on your very uh, concise narrative summary, but without hopefully, you know, spoiling every element of the film. So the, 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 it, it really is a film that divides up and I actually checked on this reviewing to see if it, if it did plant pan out, time-wise and it does uh the film is almost very concisely in thirds so the first third is what you spoke of this sort of paranormal mystery it is uh him having been commissioned by his acquaintance to hey follow my wife i think she's channeling this dead woman named carlotta valdez uh follow her see where she goes see what's happening and so the first third of the movie about the first 40 minutes of the movie or so are pretty much all that it's Stuart finding you know sort of uncovering these pieces about Carlotta Valdez and all that sort of stuff and then the woman at about the 40 something minute mark dives into San Francisco Bay presumably uh, pretending to kill herself and Jimmy Stewart rescues her that launches a very different kind of film and for the next 40 minutes we basically have kind of an affair film like an adulterous sort of affair. They've, you know, Jimmy Stewart has become infatuated with her in his pursuit of following her and finding out about um, her possibly channeling this woman and everything. And so then uh, you have what is, by my understanding, although I haven't seen a ton of these kinds of films, is kind of your standard sort of affair narrative where they they fall in love. Uh, the husband really is given no attention whatsoever. Let's run away. I'll protect you. I'll keep you safe. I'll do all this other sort of stuff. But that culminates in her apparent suicide. And so that's when, and that happens at about the minute or uh, hour 20 mark is when she leaps from that bell tower. So the last 40 minutes of the movie, it pivots yet again to what you alluded to, to that whole, then Jimmy Stewart racked with grief is 
hallucinating and seeing uh, the woman who he knows as Madeline, seeing her everywhere. Um, but then it is revealed when Kim Novak's as the actor comes back into the picture again. That's when for us, the audience, the veil is sort of ripped back and we see the whole conspiracy writ large where it's like, no, she was basically pretending to be this acquaintance's his wife the entire time because the acquaintance wanted to kill his wife. So it was an extremely elaborate plot for this man to basically set up and use Jimmy Stewart, knowing he had acrophobia, knowing he would not be able to get to the top of the bell tower, using him to uh, basically get away scot-free with killing his wife. And so, but then the last third of the film, once Jimmy Stewart reconnects with her, that's where I feel like the some of the acclaim and some of what the film is really substantially about i feel like that that a lot of it comes from the last third um where sure. where his obsession takes over her you know willingness to to sort of go along with these uh cuz basically well imagine a kind of demented grease you know it is <laughs> yes, it is yes it, uh, jimmy stewart so racked with grief over the loss of the madeline person thinking this is a new character or a new you know, person to him basically refashions her into the image of this dead person until as it would, you know, a, a moment happens where he realizes he's being or had been played. Yes. Um, did you know this would be more trivial bits? And, and I promise I want to get back to your question. Sure. Um, sure. Did you read where you, you referenced the acquaintance or the college friend? Um, there was a producer who, and I think they actually made it. There was a shot where, or a scene where, at the end of the film, you hear a recording on the radio, or you hear the radio, and they report of finding him on the lam and arresting him. And this producer was insistent because of kind of the code at the time yeah. and things like that. Oh, yeah. Like, we want to know, we need to know that, you know, right is achieved or whatever. Sure. And Hitchcock was like, no. But apparently they did initially, well, no. There was that scene, and then there's the letter writing scene, which was a, a big contention point uh, for him. But anyway, so that was interesting. Um, Let me pause you because yeah, that yeah, scene yeah, you just referenced is on the Blu-ray. It's it's a, which one the the one where um, Scotty Jimmy Stewart plays a character named Scotty shows up back at the Scotty house too, of Scotty Scotty Too Hotty. Yeah, Scotty Too Hotty. Wow. Um, he shows up <laughs> back at the home of Midge, his uh, right. old college uh, girlfriend, sweetheart, longtime friend. Um, so he shows up back at her house. They don't exchange any dialogue, but on the radio is playing um, that the that the conspiracy has now fully come out, and it's it's a very just innocuous nothing scene. It's a very cheap scene, very expositional. Yes, yeah. but the scene was filmed and right, and, right. and is on the Blu-ray. Um, it obviously did not make it into the finished film, and I'm really really glad it didn't because it would be it would be abysmal. So you asked about 30 minutes ago at this point. Um, <laughs> If I saw the turns coming, um, th that's, uh, I don't know because there's this weird, it is very clear at this point that Nathan's memory is not fantastic, um, <laughs> as a 38 year old guy with three kids and a giant dog and a house and responsibilities and bills. Like I, you know, what did I do today? I don't know. <laughs> um, I am pretty positive. I had seen this before, but for the life of me. All I remembered was the image of him hanging from the sort of, uh, you know, rooftop thing, which in induces the very beginning his, of the movie. Yeah. His, his acrophobia. And I remembered something about someone plummeting from a bell tower. Sure. Like I sure. really, 
And so I had this weird feeling watching the movie where I'm like, I don't I think I might have seen this, but I'm not 100% sure. So so it's hard to answer that question, which is really weird to to admit because I think I may have seen the movie before, but I didn't remember enough. I knew and we can get into this a little bit, uh, you know, now or in a few minutes, like your descriptors of this film and it's in its place in history and the accolades attached to it. I was unfamiliar with until after I watched the movie. And so it's weird to say this, but part of me watched it less as an engaged audience member and more as like, I'm watching this with a critical eye to think sure, about how to sure. talk about it. And so it was kind of weird. I don't feel I, I am open to rewatching it in the future. <laughs> and then I'll be like, have I seen this before? <laughs> I feel like maybe I've seen it twice. Oh, I don't know. Gosh. Um, I'm open to watching it in the future with a more engaged eye, but I had a hard time kind of entering into okay. it. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's a very heightened for the movies, for the Hitchcock movies we've watched so far, shadow of a doubt rear window. And the one we'll talk about next week, it's pretty different. Oh, very much. So. Um, yeah. In a way that I would hesitate to use the word turn off, but in a way that I had a harder time plugging into. Sure. And um, it's very different for his catalog. Like it, it's an anomaly in his in his catalog because it's unlike um, it's got some elements in 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 many ways. Vertigo is unlike any other Hitchcock film. And in other ways, it is precisely like it's the culmination of all of Hitchcock's films. Um, well, and, and to 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 cut you off rudely, um, the your question of did I see the turns coming? Shadow of a Doubt trained me a little bit to anticipate that the supernatural elements I may think might be afoot are probably not really afoot. Interesting. And yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so when you now hear me, I was a little intrigued because I was like, are they doing a channeling story? You know sure, what I mean? Like sure, just the, yeah. the body body switch or whatever. Um, but I just, I think subconsciously I knew in Shadow of a Doubt when I thought <laughs> we were all going to start communicating telepathically between the Charlies. <laughs> um, you know, I, 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 I just didn't think they were going to commit to that supernatural element in this movie. So it didn't surprise me that that didn't pan out. Sure, right, so right, right. I would not have been able to tell you, oh, this is what's coming or this is what's happening. But I figured we're probably not doing that. Sure, sure. That makes sense. And I feel like the the film has it's fascinating because I've seen this film now a few times, a handful of times. And. It always boggles me how much time they spend on that mystery. Like it, it just it boggles me. I think it's I don't say that as a detriment to the film, but it really does surprise me. I'm like, wow, they spend a lot of time developing this Carlotta Valdez story. And well, and it play it plays with your ex. Now, this is where I don't know if I'm speaking as a 2018 viewer examining something intentional or if our con- storytelling tropes have changed so much so it plays with your expectations in possibly a negative way in the sense that what you just said the mystery element drags out for a little while to the point that it's funny you brought up the breakdown in terms of the structure when the bell tower scene is happening i remember pausing to be like where am i in the movie oh you know like because because it's such a climactic kind of moment that you're that you are traditionally or conditioned to think whatever's next is the denouement. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yes. Not like another hour 15 of movie. Mm -hmm. So, so, so yeah, it's, it's, 
it is unconventional in that regard. But again, I don't know if that's we are so dumbed down by our current storytelling sort of conventions or if no, it really is meant to be quite intentional and sort of play with your expectations. I, I don't know. Uh, I, th- I think it's absolutely intentional that he's <clears throat> so Hitchcock did something that's called uh, and he used this trope frequently in his films, something called a MacGuffin, where he would basically uh, introduce a plot element to it. And you, right. you as the audience viewer will think, oh, uh, what is what is that? uh you know, what is that mystery at the heart of this? And really, Hitchcock is weaving a narrative that's utterly about something else. So you think that they're going to be critical elements to the plot, and ultimately they have very little to do with what the story is really about. In this one, I feel like the Carlotta Valdez is a, a, just an extended long-form MacGuffin where he's basically setting you up to think, ooh, what's at the heart of this mystery? And how is Carlotta Valdez, you know, connected to... Uh, all of these things, and why is she trying to kill herself? And what's the what's at the heart? What's at the roost? And and even if here's what's surprising, even if you are as a first time viewer uh, suspecting a twist, you are likely not suspecting. Oh, the Carlotta Valdez plot means nothing. Like, and right, I, sh- I shouldn't right, say right. it means nothing because the, it's 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 all sort of building up to they've duped Jimmy Stewart's character, but. But it's like, oh, no, in the ultimate scheme of what this story is really about, it it doesn't mean much of anything. It's a fabrication. It's a falsehood. And that's that's a really bold trick. It's a it's a bold choice to try to spend so much time. But I think that what it has the capacity to do is to put you in his shoes for feeling and Jimmy. Stewart. Yeah. in Jimmy Stewart's shoes right. to try to think like what what is all of this like am i losing my mind am i you know have i just been like when she's at the in the final third of the film um one of the things that i think hitchcock is really brilliant at and i think a lesser filmmaker would have left for the you know final five minute reveal i think that when he when jimmy stewart's character sees kim novak and he knows her as madeline but in at the point that he reconnects with her, she's going by the name Judy. Um, and when he see- well, that that is that's, her, that's name. her real name, exactly. Right, right, right. Um, yeah. So when when he sees Judy, it's interesting because I think a lesser filmmaker would not have let us, the audience, in on the murder plot at that point of the movie. They would have spared it until the final like five minutes and made that the big shocking reveal. Um, but instead. Hitchcock inserts that that letter writing scene yeah. right at that moment where she spills the beans on all of it, like says everything. Well, correct me if I'm wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think sequentially the reveal is a little before the letter writing. Remember, like, doesn't she kind of turn away? Yes. Like the what yes. happens on screen, she kind of turns away from. I don't know if it's him or if he's just left. Um, and you see the play out of what really happened yeah. which is she ascends the bell tower hides the college guy throws the body out the window yes. well it's funny it's funny you say that because one one of my readings so if it's okay we're kind of going yeah all over yeah, the place yeah. Here. no let's do it um let's just follow the conversation uh, one, of, one of one of the things one of the things um i read was that hitchcock i don't know if it was or some of the deliberation about sequencing and editing was when to reveal what really happened yeah and he chose where he did which is yeah kind of early in terms of that part of the story or that part of the movie he he chose to reveal it there to to amplify our empathy towards her like mm. to help us 
help us. Well, empathy might be a wrong word, but to help us kind of comprehend why she would be struggling with the events of the latter part of the movie. Sure, where, yeah. Because to because to her, it was just kind of a mark, if you will. She made some money. Um, she got kind of emotionally tied up in it, though. I don't want to pivot too hard here yet, but you know, this is this is what's good about this conversation because I actually, if I can be so bold, my my watching of it did not engender much affection. Sure, sure, like, sure. That's I, fair. I, I, I viewed it as a bit more of a historical artifact. I had a hard time kind of plugging into it, and not just because I was tired, though that is true. You know, it. I, I don't know. It it had this air of observe me rather than enjoy me uh-huh. sure know, yeah yeah really weird a really weird way of putting it but but i do see where it's can be fodder for substantive conversation so because to your point a minute ago you made the comment of well what we find out is the carlotta valdez storyline means nothing well the subplot of judy cum madeline cum carlotta's story quote unquote means nothing but that means it has to mean something so it has to mean something to him which means the payoff for it meaning anything is that latter part of the movie yeah yeah um and so i I won't jump too heavy into themes because i don't have a ton to say other than some brief notes but yeah i mean i can i can respect the movie and i do think there's a world where a rewatch would yield more appreciation for it uh, oh, I definitely think you should rewatch it. I, de- I mean, you don't have to. Tomorrow, well, like I but... said, I think I, I think I have, but I just don't know. <laughs> <laughs> funny, I, I feel like, uh, you know, you know, you watch Scotty Johnny with his vertigo. Mine's I've got a finding Dory sort of thing. I'm like, I don't know. Did I, did I watch <laughs> did it? I watch you know, this? I, don't I know. mean, um, you're on a diet. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I will quickly address in what would typically be our likes dislikes like it is worth knowing that there's a scene at the end with midge or there was one shot one you could argue the movie utterly underserves the midge character to the point of her being unnecessary Mm. or you could say man the themes of this movie are about the obsessive nature of men oh, yes. and their and their rejection of healthy relationship. <laughs> oh, sure. You know, oh, like absolutely. Yes. Um the obsessive that's, nature that's, yeah, go ahead. Go the ahead. obsessive nature of man's pursuit um and control of the women in his life is is definitely an an element of the film. But also I feel like there's this with the Midge character, who I struggle with a lot, um, yeah, sure, because rightly so, because she's she has some very specific, deliberate beats in the movie, but those beats leave you very unresolved, terribly unresolved. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I I don't. It's funny you say that because I think on the one hand I'm sympathetic because I think the character gets a bit shortchanged and maybe that's intentional. On the other hand. And maybe is it a sign of the time? I, I she is such a needy character too. Like, oh, she's terribly. If needy. I had, yes. if I had a scare, one of them is her making that s- stupid portrait. Yes, um, yes. Of herself. But I guess, I guess that's the question, though. Is do you, as a viewer, read Lackey specifically? Are you like, oh, poor Midge, man? She just gets the raw end of the stick this whole movie, or are you like, 
no, she's a creeper. You know what I mean? Like, and that. Okay, uh, I'll say this. It's not me. Try, it's actually not me trying to trap you, though. I could see where that might be. The no, case. no, no, no. So, um, so, check, yeah. so check this out. And this is what I mean by, and we'll, we may talk, uh, you know, I don't know how long this episode will go, but when we reach the end of it, there will still be hours of conversation about Vertigo left on the table. I will say this. Think about this. She makes a portrait of herself where she paints the Carlotta Valdez a what? Uh, portrait, um, where she. Um, <laughs> paints the Carlotta Valdez image with her face onto it, which is a right. an astonishingly amazing portrait, by the way. Like she she needs work because she's or like, you know, she needs to get some money because she's a great painter. But she makes this portrait of herself and <laughs> you're welcome. Um but you're the best. think think about what happens in the final third of the film. He takes a woman who at the at the moment he does not know is directly attached to everything and what does he do he reshapes her into someone else like frames everything around like basically right, makes right. her up into this image of someone else and i find it immensely fascinating that that is what midge kind of threw at him as a right. and and and, yeah. and so yeah, yeah. that she's basically saying like i'll i'll be that you can make me that, and he rejects her painfully in a in a very awkward and and painfully uh, pathetic scene. I say pathetic not as as an insult, yeah, but yeah. like it's pit- pitiful, pitiful, pitiful scene. Pitiful, yeah. Yes, um, that that he rejects that he rejects that that uh, extension that notion, uh, but then spends the last third of his of the film doing exactly that for a woman who even knowing what she's toying with actively surrenders to it. And I think that's a, that's a frightening element of the film is, is this notion of control and obsession, not just of uh, how men control women. I think that's a very uh, evident element of it, but I also think to leave it there is reductive because it's, there's so much more to it than that. It is, it is so much more complex than just obsessive man, controls woman and makes her into an image of what he wants her to be uh, because these women i what, say mid well, what would you add what would you add to that? midge I mean, I'm, and, not, I'm not i'm not questioning sure you, but I'm, I'm curious what you would add to I, that. D- I think it's very intentional that midge and judy openly and and midge scotty's not interested in making her over into that he's not interested in that at all but judy and midge both express judy through uh, uh midge through art judy through actual action submit themselves to it they surrender. They surrender to it, and they basically say, "Like, yes, make make me over into what you are obsessed with." And 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 even though Judy resists it, that scene in the in the department store with the dress is painful. Yeah. Is painful because she's resisting right. every moment of the way, and even comes back from the hair salon with her hair down and and yeah, styled yeah, yeah. differently. She's actively trying to resist this, but ultimately. She doesn't resist it. Ultimately, she gives over to it and submits and surrenders to it. And I find that I do find that frightening, but it is I think that it would be easy to point the finger at the Scotty character and indict him for his obsessive control. I think that is definitely valid and worthwhile to do that. But I think there's also an element worth considering that. For whatever reason, for reasons we can unpack or not, that these two female characters sort of open and surrender themselves to that um, actively, even in the case of Judy, knowing the danger that she's stepping into to to do that thing. That's what the whole letter writing scene is about. She's writing that letter 
as a as a goodbye as a dear john letter to to make her exit to pack up and leave right and then in the writing of the letter is like do i dare stay and lie and 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 be with you do i dare to do that and then that's that's her fatal decision is to say no i'll stay and i'll have dinner with you and i will and then Piece by piece, inch by inch, she surrenders to this process, which ultimately becomes her undoing. Uh, tragically so. But uh, hmm. what you what you think? I know, I know. I, I sense a robust conversation afoot. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, really, it's just scant thoughts. But that I think, like, I want to be sympathetic to your notion that they are willing participants at the same time. I think what perhaps, and maybe why this movie gets the accolades it does for being, if I can use this word progressive, that what we watch though is less a willful desired submission to a thing and more a normalization of dominant persona shaping things to his will which which sure. again i don't know i don't know exactly how we tie that into the sort of vertigo aspect other than just the you know one of the thematic ideas i wrote down is the dark side of infatuation so vertigo as a condition uh being a metaphor for the sort of infatuation the the lost the inability to sort of see right from wrong or up from down when we are in those areas, something that, so there's two, I'm diving into themes, not because I'm trying to shortchange the conversation, but because I think we could probably keep going for quite a while here, but let's do it. Two things that really strike me thematically, uh, one in an identity standpoint and one in an obsession standpoint, and maybe we can tie them together somehow, or you can add to it and, and weave it all together in that glorious way. Only read like you can. Um, <laughs> it just stood out to me. So the identity standpoint, it stood out to me and hear me. I'm not trying to assign meaning to things that maybe are just incidental, but I think in the way that I did not know the significance of this film previous to watching it, I will wager a guess that little about it is incidental mm-hmm. and much of about it is intentional. Yes. It stands out to me rather starkly that Jimmy Stewart's character goes by multiple names. Mm-hmm. It stands out to me starkly that Kim Novak's character goes by several names I highly doubt that Midge is Midge's name. No, it's Marjorie. She says it. Okay, right. And so and so that just really screams at me. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. like, Judy is Judy in the real. She's Madeline in the fake. Madeline's Carlotta in the fake. Like we are all like faking There's layers. Yeah, and, yeah. Right, and putting and putting on identities and and screwing each other over maybe screwing each other, which uh, in a funny sense, I don't know if you thought this, I thought this, like the, the quote unquote makeout scenes in this movie are so like 1950s. Like they, I'm like, you guys aren't even kissing whatsoever. It's really funny. You're just like, you're just like pressing your faces against just each other. Which smothering is just each really, other. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, there's nothing, there's nothing romantic about that. Um, <laughs> and trust me, I've tried. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've got my own Judy. Okay. I'm just saying. Right. 
<laughs> so, you know, I don't know what to do with that in the moment conversationally, but it just really stands out to me that we're just all putting faces on for each other. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. and, and I'm going to tie that to a line that actually is under my scares, but is as, is, is scary because it is so thematic. There's a scene late in the film once I would, and maybe you, you can kick back against this. I would wager that Johnny doesn't really suspect this is actually her once she does the good convincing until the necklace. Would you, would you, that's 100% correct. No, that's 100%. He says it. I don't know if you remember this line. He's, he said that he he says to her when they're climbing up the bell tower for the final time, he says the necklace that finally tipped it. He has no suspicion. It's, It's kind of a heartbreaking scene because he's comfortable. He's shaped her into this image of this obsessed, of this woman that he's obsessed over. So now he's getting to live out this fantasy in the real. And then it is not until he fastens and clasps that familiar necklace around her, that it all comes crashing in on him. What the reality of it is. So that is 100% correct. Okay, cool. Um, I'm glad to know I'm right about a few things (laughs) in the world. Um, So the line that just like blew my mind. And I feel like part of this conversation um, I think you would kind of echo this. I, I just feel like women of the world are owed a blanket apology from from the men of the world, definitely. But in, in this moment, women, holy crap, we we are really terrible sometimes to ourselves and to you. Mm-hmm. And it's a vicious cycle and it's ugly. And I'm sorry. Um, we yes. read and I, read and I in our own little ways in our own little lives try to buck that trend. Yes. Um, but there's this really gosh terrible moment in that department store scene, I think it's then it's, it's once the crescendo is happening of him really forcing the reshaping upon yep. her. Um, and, and guys, when we keep, if you haven't watched the movie, or aren't going to, it is kind of long, but it is clearly kind of worth it for the conversational aspect. But um, the reshaping we're talking about is he, he keeps imposing, Hey, you who look like this person I was in love with or infatuated with and died, wear this thing, look like mm-hmm. this dress this way. Mm-hmm wear this style makeup, color your hair this way. So he, that's what we mean when we talk about the reshaping. Um, and she, at every moment pushes against it. She, she does resist though pretty much at every turn it's normalized. She does bend, bend to his will. But the line that I keep building to that he barks at her when she is forcefully trying to say, no, I'm not going to do this. He says, it can't matter to you. Oh my gosh. That line, that line, it can't it's matter terrible. to you. That is a no. That is a that is an absolutely horrendous line. It's one hundred percent terrifying, um, and and I think that's the thing is he has taken away not only just her autonomy, but the presumption that she would have any choice in the matter whatsoever. It's not just that he revokes her choice; he revokes the idea that she has one to make. It's not just that he takes yes. her choice away. He takes away the poss- that With that line, it can't matter to you. He does more than just say, I'm going to force you to do this. He, because that would at least be taking ownership of his avarice. What he does instead is dismisses the fact that she would even have one to make. And I think that's the worst offense, is that he presumes she, she does not even care about this this element of things and that's that's heinous. well and and i think what's so nefarious 
about the character in, as he's written. Uh, in other words, like, um, you know, I don't think he, the, this, I don't think Johnny, the character would say you're right, Nathan, but I think as he's written, what's so nefarious about him is he's so what we would commonly think of as bullying or brutish or like, uh, abusive. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He does. He doesn't have that air about him. What he has is emasculation, neediness, mm -hmm. a lack of, or, or my life needs to look X way in order for me to have confidence in my identity kind of right, thing. Like it's right. really, it's really insidious from that standpoint. Right. And that line is just exemplary of, of exactly that, you know, like you, you put it well and it's interesting. I'm just kind of going, the, no, okay. let's do it. Like, no, okay. this, this is kind of what I suspected for this film. Uh, you're so smart, Reed. It, you know, I, I am. Um, do, do it, Nathan. It can't yeah. matter to you. Go keep going. <laughs> <laughs> fine i'll put my hair up oh god i love you um um what is coming to me right now is thinking about kind of marriage mm. and and marital relationships and something i learned arguably in a harder way than i would have liked but that i've i try to pay more attention to than i did in a previous life and even then probably fail often is if and I say this to you if you are married. I say this to you if you are a married man, especially because we are so prone to this. God make it matter to them. Mm. It has to matter to them. And and by them I mean your spouse. I think one of the biggest revelations of my adult life as a married person was oh my God, I've made so much just about me and my comfort and my identity. And, and, and propping up my expectations and view of the world and re my mm -hmm. relationships mm -hmm. versus, oh, wait a minute. You are a person with hopes, dreams, disappointments, expectations, right, right. desires, interests. Like the game changes then. Mm -hmm. It truly does when you sort of, and hear me like it's, that's, that's, I would argue it might be impossible to maintain that constantly. Sure. But because what's scary about Johnny slash Scotty in this movie, and this is what I think I found interesting about the watching of it is like ostensibly he's our hero, right? It's Jimmy. Stewart. Sure. Like yeah. mm -hmm. you just like him, but he is a terrible dude. And what is impressive about the movie is that you kind of don't realize you're forming that opinion until you kind of have this conversation. Right? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, his, his glibness towards Midge, her, her neediness, notwithstanding, you know, whether, whether we validate her neediness or not, like he's very glib towards her. He's very, um, kind of maybe not condescending, but he's very dismissive of her, sort of a, affections and attention towards Very much, him and, yes. and that sort of things takes, takes her for granted deeply. Absolutely. Takes her for granted. Does. Yes. And I do think there's something to be said. I'm just talking here, but there's something to be said about like this indictment of the high romance of the first half of the mm -hmm. movie. Like that's the nature of infatuation, right? We get, we get frothy. We get just like, you know, that affair <laughs> you, you, you unintentionally made me think of this earlier. Um, 
if I say an affair to remember black, does that mean anything to you? Uh, it doesn't. No, but I know the affair to remember, but I don't. Right, right, right. In 30 Rock, there was a great bit about how Tracy Morgan's character like had this history of being in movies that were just reappropriations of white people <laughs> movies and there was an affair to remember black was that like the is the black the black version of an affair to remember That's anyway really so it's fascinating kind of observing the movie as this thing trying to talk back to you which is to say hey infatuation is exciting and it has this air of romance about it but it'll f you up mm-hmm. and it'll and it'll f up the world around you and the people you come in contact with and I don't know. So yes, I am. Well, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm jumping on. I'm jumping on the vertigo train. Reed. There it is. There it is. Let me also point something out that I think is not also not incidental. It's not absolution. It's not forgiveness for Scotty. But let's not forget that this terrible dude, as we deem him, is a pawn and a victim, unbeknownst to him, for the first hour and twenty minutes of the movie. He is a pawn in this scheme and ultimately a victim of this 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 other guy's plan to basically capitalize on his fears. And I think that's not insignificant. Now, this again, I want to be very clear that doesn't absolve him of the actions he takes in the last third of the film. But I think there's also a very real conversation to be had about how victimization and being used yourself fosters users fosters control freaks fosters obsessives i think that that can be something that is not exclusive to the male gender but i do think that it is something that so here's here's a frustration that i have lord please keep me off the soapbox here's a frustration that i have get off Um, that box (laughs) i've been i've been attuned because i'm a hobby sociologist I, I jokingly say that I like I'm fascinated by sociology and anthropology in general as as a science as a study practice. I have been thinking in this swarm of the hashtag Me Too movement, um, and again, I'm not going to go down this path where I suddenly say like, oh, uh, you know, we we just really need to understand why all these you know abusers are abusers. But for a moment, it's going to sound like what what I'm doing. Let me paint a different scenario for you. Women, uh, I'm going to actually start with girls. Girls growing up are allowed to have, even encouraged to have, a wide array of rich emotional expressions to the degree that sometimes it's the butt of a joke. And I think that's hideous and unnecessary. Um, Women are allowed to have any range of emotional expressions. If If a boy gets emotional he is typically told by peers or by father figures to man up and suck it up and he's not allowed to have that emotional range and he's not allowed to have feelings like sorrow or feelings like grief or feelings like vulnerability he's not allowed to have those kinds of expressions and I've, I've I've been fascinated by sort of examining the culture writ large surrounding sort of a predominant view of masculinity, a predominant view of the the elements of masculinity. And I, I will simply bumper sticker my point at this. I feel like 
coming out of the Me Too movement, necessary people are being called to the carpet for atrocious actions. I feel like the one glaringly absent, at least from the conversations that I've heard and from the articles that I've read, one glaringly absent culprit is the culture at large, the culture that has fostered people to think this is okay, people to think that um, it is okay to treat people as objects, to treat people as commodities, and has enabled and given them a platform to do it. I'll give you an example. So I remember hearing, uh, I don't think he listens to our show, and he should, but shout out Keith Cassidy. Um, I remember <laughs> in, in our college days, and he was talking about the film Streetcar Named Desire. Keith was our theater professor in college. Yes. And uh, he was talking about the film Streetcar Named Desire. And there's a moment in that play and in that film where uh, the character who I feel like a, a bad theater arts guy now, I believe his name is Stanley. Yep. Um, but uh, Stanley takes advantage of Stella. It is essentially a a rape moment, although in the play, it's handled in such a way where you kind of know what's happening, but you don't see what's happening. And Keith had pointed out to us at one point that the casting of Marlon Brando kind of missed the point in some ways because he was such a good-looking guy and he was such a muscular and attractive person that people, uh, even women, would make jokes about like, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be Stella, like raise their hand. And right, be like, right, you know, right. I'll be right, Stella, right. you know, and, uh, there, Hash, and I, hashtag I'll be Stella. <laughs> <laughs> so, so here's what, here's what I'm scratching at. Here's, I'm, I'm, I'm pressing toward this notion of if I'm, if I'm looking around at sort of the climate of things, men are basically told if you are handsome enough, if you are good looking enough, then you'll you'll be swooned over and you'll basically that like and I'm talking about the culture here. I'm not talking sure, about, sure. you know, that this is right or appropriate or moral. The culture says you'll, you'll be swooned over, you know, that you will be they'll, they'll fall at your feet. They'll line up for you. If you're not handsome or good looking, the other thing that will do it is money. And if you have money then you can you can bring them and they they will fall at your feet there's tons of jokes uh, jokes about how the nerd get becomes the billionaire and then suddenly all the women want to be you right, know right, right. with with the nerd those are those are jokes that are appropriated in the culture and so what i find troubling is how okay we are with the kind of masculinity dynamics in culture but then at the same time we don't seem to want to do anything about indicting that or about changing that, but we will indict and try to, you know, basically, uh, we, we basically say, hey, culture everywhere saturates you that this is how you have to be in the world. If you want to, you know, be a man's man or a lady's man, this is how you have to be. And then we expect them to rise above that. And I'm again, I'm not absolving the people sure, who have sure. abused or done away with that. But again, the the my one major point is I feel like the missing culprit, the one culprit that I feel like, well, maybe not the one culprit, but a major culprit that nobody seems to be talking about is is the culture, the way we define masculinity, the way moments like and, and where I'm going with all of this is what you said about how the last third of the film really indicts the middle third of the film, because I remember thinking uh, uh, the first time around or the first couple times around, it didn't register very much to me. But I remember thinking in that middle third, I'm like, as far as he knows in that moment, that is a married woman. 
As far as right, he knows in right, that right, moment, right. that is a married woman, and he seems to think very little, if at sure. all, about pursuing a romantic affair with her. And, and seems to think nothing about it. And I feel like um, the film in that moment, as you're watching it, she also is giving into it. I fell in love, you know, like she's she's sort of um, coaxing him on in that in that same way. Now, the later part of the film reveals that that's all a, a very intentional ploy. But it, it's something where as I look at that again, getting back to he is a a rotten and awful human being in what he does to Judy in the last third of that film. But it is not lost on me that he is simultaneously a pawn and a victim of something else at the same time. And, and while that does not absolve him, I think we miss part of the picture. If we do not acknowledge that element to how we ourselves in the midst of our need to be better and do better, if the culture around us is not indicted, if the culture around us is not called out, then the, what hope do people have to rise above what's saturating and bombarding them every single day? What hope do they have? I mean, obviously, you and I being believers would think that there's spiritual hope to rise above that. But what what cultural hope do they have? In other words, this is the this is the climate into which they are entrenched. And I'll make one last statement. And then I'll, I'll pivot back to you to retort, to rebuff, to disagree, to whatever. The, the, one big, the one big thing that frustrates me to pieces is I've seen my fair share of chick flicks, we'll call them. I'll seen my, I've seen my fair share of uh, sort of romantic comedy movies. And in those, with very few exceptions, I see very few... I see, I see a lot of consenting women, but I see very few men asking for permission. I see men making moves that are reciprocated. And one of the things that is troubling to me, and it is deeply troubling to me, is how impressionable boys are, you know, they're not watching chick flicks, but impressionable boys get this appearance that, you know what, I have to be confident. I have to right, be bold. Right. I have to speak up. I have to make a move. And if I willy wash around and if I, hey, you know, may I hold your hand? May I do this? Then that is seen as less manly, less machismo. That's seen as as waifish and not as attractive. Sure, and, sure, sure. And then we saturate and bombard them with be confident, make a move, do that. And then, oh, that wasn't wanted. That wasn't consented. Now you're slapped with all of this harassment stuff. And I, again, I find the dynamic troubling. I'm not saying that sure. harassers shouldn't be called out and everything. I find the dynamic troubling. And all I'm saying in this conversation is I'm indicting the culture that fosters that kind of thing. Yes. Wee. <laughs> um, Vertigo, everybody. I think, I think, I think that's a really fascinating observation. It, it, as you were talking, I, I thought it's going to be an interesting uh, next decade for you and I, not just as pod hosts but as friends um me having a brood of women in my home and you having a, a, a son a son yeah, a son. yeah. um yeah. and i think what's you know your indictment of the culture kind of nebulously meaning simply like you know the the kind of who's at fault kind of question like where where does the buck ultimately stop um 
is an interesting one and a worthwhile conversation. And I think what's, what's hard about the moment we're in is I think there's a degree, I think there's a very large degree of correctness to just how far the pendulum is swinging. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. like, and, and, and there is part of me that's concerned based on sort of the current administration and, and ignoring the singular individual, but just the, the tone and tenor and right, right. Morality or not that radiates from there, that that pendulum will get restrained at a certain point. But I think there's an appropriateness to just how hard the pendulum is swinging. That's sort of breaking a lot of things. Um, I don't, I don't think per se that inherently breaking things is a great thing, but I think, part of what you are kind of after can only come from breaking a lot of things right now. Mm. Um, This is a really random insertion to make here, but I'm thinking about the movie black Panther and I, I, I purchased that film and watched a bunch of its featurettes and stuff or, you know, back, you know, behind the scenes things. And unfortunately there wasn't a ton, but, I remember watching, I think it was, it was either Denai or Lupita, or maybe it was even Chadwick Boseman talking about the gender aspects of Wakanda in that movie and how there's just this accepted equality. Right. Right. That's really amazing. Mm-hmm. And actually, you know what? It might've been, um, Man, I can't remember the actor's name right now, but he plays Mbaku, the the Oh yeah, I can't um, recall his name either. But he's Man Ape from the comics, uh, which they appropriately abandoned that name for the film. But anyway, I think what's so unfortunate about the moment we're in is the pendulum has to swing so hard and break so many things in the doing in order for there to even be the potential of a Wakanda type equality. You know what I mean? Sure. Well, and, let me let me yeah. say this, and and I'm hoping that I'm not derailing you, but no. I want to talk about this this necessity of breaking things. Let's bring it right back to Vertigo, and in the in the very beginning of it, he suffers a trauma, and right. what do they say a couple of times in it? They say it's going to take another trauma, an to, equal an or equal have, trauma. E- or worse, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, to to write it, and that's what we. See. It's why I so flippin think that the the final shot of this film is brilliant because for those who have not seen the film and you know we're, spo- we're spoiling everything but for those who have not seen the film after what is now revealed to be judy posing as madeline all of that when she falls off the bell tower for real the final shot of the film is him standing peering down at it now no longer afraid of heights not only not afraid of heights but standing boldly on it now what i'm talking about is the you t- we're talking about this pendulum breaking things like he he is he was broken by grief he and then he was broken by obsession and and i do think it's like i don't know what happens to him after he climbs down from that bell tower i don't know what happens next but i do think as as sad tragic and unfortunate as it is that maybe when the pendulum does swing the the other way Maybe there is going to be a lot of trauma. Maybe there is going to be a lot of brokenness. Yeah, Maybe there is sure. going to be a lot of okay. Well, now the other side is 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 suffering to a perhaps uh, you know unfair degree. Maybe it's very fair, but there's going to be trauma. There's going to be brokenness, and then maybe through that there can be understanding. 
Maybe through that, there can be reconciliation. Maybe through that, there can be the kind of centered balance that would really be necessary, that these this wealth of grievances that have come before, when it swings the other way, maybe, yeah, maybe by necessity to push upstream against it, it, it does require. Um, some, well, and it's, inter- it's interesting that that's your interpretation of the end, because my takeaway, which which I don't know exactly how to sync up with the notion of maybe the pendulum stilling in his posture at the end of the film. But to me, her actual death presents as a referendum on all that has come before, which is all the falseness and all the power abuse and all the normalizations. And I'm about to get preachy on you, brother. Mm, all all of all of the bullshit we put each other through those of us who are in the dominant position of culture and those are who are you know not so all the things all the ways we in the dominant position foist upon those who aren't all the ways those who aren't falsely sort of abide the things that we do who enters the scene that shatters it all a member of the cloth, a nun. Right. Yes. Her, her entry into the story. If you aren't going to watch the movie, uh, Jimmy Stewart's character was recreating this terrible thing that happened falsely at the midway point. Um, a nun enters the scene because this sort of sad emotional confrontation is happening between, uh, Judy and Johnny. And, the arrival of the nun on the scene startles Judy so that she backs up out of the window of the bell tower and plummets to her death. Actually. Yes. Um, and then the nun rings the mission bell, you know, mm-hmm. and there's this mm-hmm. weird kind of like the, the pendulum has been forcefully stopped mm-hmm. has, you know, and there's this powerful image of Jesus breaking it all (laughs) Mm. and saying all these ways you guys are so terrible towards each other and all the infatuations you indulge and all the obsessions you enforce and all the reshaping you impose and all the ways that you who have been imposed upon have adopted and adapted and, and broken your backs in favor of and, and, and convinced yourselves you were, uh, deserving of the oppression foisted upon you. Mm. It's all it's, it is none of it right or true or good or holy or beautiful. Right. And, and, and a death will have to happen in order to register center again. Mm. You know, that's what I got out of vertigo. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I think too, like, like I do, I agree. I think you talk about this death so in the in the first third of the film, there is an obsession with a dead woman. Now, granted, the obsession with a dead woman is a Carlotta. Carlotta. Carlotta right, yeah. Right, yeah. Right. Carlotta. Um, it's a a fabrication. But there's an obsession with a dead woman in the last third of the film. There's an obsession with a dead woman. Now, granted, we, the audience, know that 
Scotty is engaging with the actual, the, right, right. The, the real person that he fell in love with. But he's reshaping her into a woman he believes is dead, thinks is dead. And it is this, I'll go ahead and bring in um, a scripture uh, for consideration that as we've been talking sort of has, uh, has risen up in me. Um, and this scripture is very directly referring to Christ, specifically at uh, the tomb. Um, but I think the language is hauntingly appropriate um luke chapter 24 and verse 5 um it's speaking of the women who came to the tomb and found the tomb empty and it says in their fright the women bowed down with their faces to the ground but the men said to them why do you look for the living among the dead Hmm. and the language why do you look for the living among the dead and i think we spend a lot of time and and let's 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 it, it applies to the, the specific subjects that we've been discussing, but I think it applies even more broadly than that is we obsess over the dead and I don't, and, and we, we obsess over what is dead and cold and gone in this fantasy fabrication. And we obsess and we tell ourselves that as soon as we obtain that, as soon as we get that, um, then all will be right with the world. All will be done with the world. And, uh, and I just find that language so convicting and compelling and haunting. Why do you seek the living among the dead. You know what's really chilling about that whole last third of Vertigo to me? Well, an element that's really chilling. A lot of it is. But what's tremendously chilling about that is that he he has her. He has her and right, she loves right, him. And right. if they would just be honest and truthful and open about it yeah i mean that's they're not he's not going to be very forgiving but it's like all of that is very tragic and star-crossed as it is but it is it is tragically ironic that he has her and she's there but because there is this this death in between them there is this this cold tomb-like thing in between them and they continue to try to seek something living and vibrant and real but they're really just obsessed with death they're really just obsessed with something death it's even been said and I'm not trying to bring it into some sort of weird, absurd place, but I have heard commentary on that scene where she emerges from the yeah, yeah, yeah. the the bathroom um, as a kind of philosophical necrophilia, which I know sounds really twisted, oh, wow. but but it's like but but he he sees yeah, sure, emerging sure. a dead woman, and right. and it is um, it is it is really again convicting to think about how we ourselves and again. Um, I'm not going to send us. I've said my piece about it, but I think the culture fosters it. You can you can point your finger at, um, you know, mainstream media. If you want to go that route, you can paint your you, you can point your finger at literature. You can point your finger at cinema. You can point your finger at all kinds of places where culture appropriates it. I'm not even going to uh, I'm just going to mention the porn industry and i'm not even gonna go down that track but it's just there are things in the culture that will foster and appropriate death in your heart in your imagination in your life in your mind it will continue to foster your obsession with death as you seek something vibrant and living and as you foster this this obsession and fantasy over something dead something not real something fabricated it will only lead to dizziness and and death and despair and and a twisted and vertigo vertigo. but it'll 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 foster a twisted perverted mindset in you a twisted and perverted spirit in you to where all you will have left is control and your capacity to control and your desperate 
haunting plea to everybody whose life you are destroying in your wake is please it can't matter to you please and and that what a tragic indicting statement on the culture in which we find ourselves in the political the social the romantic the relational arena uh as human beings today well and it's so fascinating to me like it's funny i'm staring at that phrase and then you just said it and and you know that it can't matter to you like i think if if there's any button to sort of start to wind us to home is it all freaking matters it all matters it all matters and (laughs) Uh, until black lives matter, it can't all matter. Until women's lives matter, it can't all matter. Until yes, friggin' yes. refugees and immigrants' lives all matter, it can't all matter. And right. we have to be harbingers of all of it mattering. Yes, absolutely. You know, absolutely. And if if that requires the 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 visage and aggressive insertion of a, of a Jesus figure into our life to kill the thing we've been obsessing over Mm -hmm. in order to write our minds and spirits, then so be it because it does matter and it all matters and it has to matter. Um, or we are just going to ourselves perpetuate. We will just perpetuate this cycle of obsession and abuse and, you know, deprivation of agency from those around us. Absolutely. Vertigo. Well, um, there's probably a a mountain of words more to say, but I think I think that's a that's a good note to to resolve it at. Um, if you're good, then I'm good. Um, let's bring in uh, let's bring in our friend old uh, Scotty S. Pumpkins. Whoa! <laughs> um, <laughs> no, for real. So uh, so uh, when we cover a film. Uh, we rate it on the metric of David S. Pumpkins. We rate it on a measurement of style, scares, and substance. So, um, uh, uh, Nathan, in the area of style, uh, mm. what would you give to one Mr. Alfred Hitchcock-directed Vertigo? As only the best of our conversations can, um, I am at a different place at the end of this conversation about Vertigo than I was at the start of it. Um for style, I do still think it's a little bit of a challenge to just kind of enjoy as a movie as opposed to observe as a film, mm. if, if I can make that distinction. So I would give style a three. I think there's a lot of strength to it. I do think it's it's you have to kind of you have to engage with it to me as opposed to it kind of intentionally wooing you forward although again a repeat viewing may change that but for the moment on what might be a second viewing i'm gonna go with a three (laughs) okay um (laughs) having seen the film multiple times i can not only confirm that multiple viewings are rewarding um but uh but multiple viewings have continually elevated this film in my mind for style it's it's a five for me it's wow yeah it's absolutely a brilliant and compelling and multi-layered, rich, fascinating film. So five for me for style. Now, scares is tough because I think there are some, uh, I mean, it's not a scary film. Um, I think there's some things to definitely fill you with some shivers and chills in terms of uh, sort of thematically what it's dealing with. Um, But I'm going to land on about a three and a half for scares. Um, I will give uh, i'll meet you there reed 
I all will, right. All right. I will join you willfully with my total agency intact at the three and a <laughs> half mark. Um, I do think I'm with you. The movie isn't inherently a quote unquote scary movie, but the line of one normal human, non crazy person character to another that says I, it can't matter to you when they're trying to foist their desire upon them is mm-hmm. enough to kind of propel me to the three and a half mark. Terrifying. Sure. Absolutely. Now, what would you give it for substance? Um, it's so fascinating to me. And this is why, this is why I do this podcast. I don't know why you do it, but, um, <laughs> I like I really, I, right. Well, thank you. Um, we don't talk enough anymore. Reed. No, no. And we don't even know what we argue about. <laughs> Never say I love you no more. What does that have to Even say I love you is no longer allowed. Why do we hurt each other? Why I do we, know. I why don't know. We, let's not wait till the water runs dry. Um, <laughs> This is a voice to men reference. Um, I think I was ready to be just kind of blase uh, about vertigo and I'm going to go to five for substance. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm right there with you. It's a five for me. I think, uh, I I think it's a terribly compelling and richly layered and a wonderfully textured film. Uh, I do think uh, repeat viewings of it are not only rewarding. I think they're almost vital to really understanding kind of what the deal is about, about vertigo. So, um, so that brings us to a pretty substantial, pretty sizable eight and a half David S pumpkins for uh, one, Mr. Vertigo. Um, That's, that's pretty solid. That's pretty firm. Um, so yeah, I, I, we've spoiled if you've happened to made it all the way through this podcast conversation and you have, um, not seen vertigo, uh, maybe it'll be good to watch it knowing some of the things that are coming. I definitely recommend it. I mean, it is considered by many to be the greatest Alfred Hitchcock film. It is considered by some to be one of the greatest American films ever made period. Um, so I would definitely recommend it. Uh, even though, yeah, your most likely comment, uh, unless you've listened to this without having seen it first, your most likely comment is going to be like, okay, yep. Uh, that was not at all what I was expecting. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I think we'll leave it there. But we are um, going to be covering another uh, Alfred Hitchcock uh, in our hashtag Hitchcock block of films. We're going to be covering another story uh, next week. I so, love the stupid crap I can get you to do sometimes. That's I true. I don't, that's I don't true. even ask you to do it. You just go with it. You well, know, you know, I, I remember it. you just when we were roommates, you would just come into the to the bedroom and just whisper. <laughs> it can't matter to you, Reed. Like it can't matter to you. Like, <laughs> wow. I don't like the the large blank space you just left open and the imagery associated with that statement is just staggering. It is staggering. <laughs> What a great, what a great note to end this episode on, everybody. Here at the Fear of God, it is not the, it is the beginning of wisdom, but it is not the end of the conversation. You can clearly (laughs) tell I'm never the one who says that. We will see you next week. Meanwhile, apparently, Reed and I have some stuff to work out as I throw him from a bell tower. We love you. We'll see you next week.
fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. To continue this conversation, you can follow us on Twitter at The Fear of God. You can visit us on Facebook to comment on one of our posts or post there yourself. You can follow Reed on Twitter at Reed Lackey. You can follow Nathan on Twitter at the Nathan Rouse. Visit MoreThanOneLesson.com to leave a comment on this post or any of the other official episode posts. Email us, fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com, all one word, fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. And last but not least, if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating or review. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Whisper, it can't matter to you, to you oh in bed. Oh my gosh. That's, oh my gosh.